everyone, and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. All right, Cameron, do you know what we're talking about this episode? I never do. Not a single time. This is your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> One, you're a liar. And two, we are talking about some recent Supreme Court decisions. Yes. This is my whole jam. Weird, awkward legal cases that no one pays attention to until they get to the highest court in the land. All right. And these Supreme Court cases we're going to talk about are both technology related. Yes. That's like my whole job. (laughs) And we're covering them for a reason, because in a previous episode, specifically episode 11, we covered Supreme Court cases related to technology and science and some that had already been decided and some that were scheduled but not yet decided. Yes, a reason for our listeners to go back and listen to a past episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh, okay. Well, the Supreme Court decided on two cases recently that are related to what we discussed in that episode, so today I'm going to update everyone on those decisions and what they mean. Yep. If it, it Never say that we don't do our due diligence and follow up on past stories. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's kick it off. What do we got? All right, we are going to discuss two cases, Oracle v. Google and Facebook v. DoGood. And before discussing the decisions, first, I wanted to play a clip from our previous episode, which gives background on these cases. Now, this clip you're about to hear does not talk about Facebook v. DoGood, but it does talk about a previous case related to this one, because both cases involve the Telephone Consumer Protection Act of 1991. So everyone hears past us talking about these cases. The next one is Bar Attorney General et al. versus American Association of Political Consultants et al. Oh, you're telling me about the last one? I looked up what et al. means. It's et alia, and it just means including others. Et alia? Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to say that from now on. All right. So this case actually involves the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, TCPA, of 1991. And that's the act that prohibits almost all robocalls to cell phones. So I'm going to give a little bit of background, then we'll get to the what the actual decision in this case was. So in 2015, Congress made an exception to the TCPA that allowed debt collection calls from the U.S. government to be made to cell phones. In this Supreme Court case, some political consulting firms were challenging the rule, saying that by allowing these debt collection calls and not political calls, the government was prioritizing one type of speech over another, and thus the entire TCPA should be unconstitutional. And in a pretty much unanimous decision, the Supreme Court decided that the TCPA was not unconstitutional. However, the exemption that allowed debt collection calls was. So now, from this decision, debt collection robocalls can no longer be made and Basically, that means debt collection and political speech both have the same freedoms, which in this case is none. (laughs) Okay. For everyone listening, I was holding my breath throughout that entire (laughs) explanation because this is really important to me. I love technology. I love technology law. I'm a privacy engineer. Half my job is law in technology. (laughs) And Jesus Christ, I cannot tell you how much automation in technology is actually a legal issue. Mm -hmm. And this, like, there's a lot of people upset right now because of the simple fact that all sorts of robocalling still happen, not because it's supposed to be legal. Like, it's pretty much illegal for most forms of robocalling to happen. And yet, the enforcement side of it is just hot garbage. The FCC needs to get their crap together. And John Oliver did a whole <laughs> bit where he kept spamming the FCC with robocalls of to course. get 
get the point across that like so many so many of us get these spam calls from fake numbers that are impossible to block because of the way they're able to spoof phone numbers. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm so happy that this happened because first of all, robocalling is dumb. It is a dumb thing that was just a product of how we created the phone system and the internet. And you know what? We all should apologize. The internet was a mistake. <laughs> Burn it all down. Instagram was a bad idea. But on top of that, this is an important thing to understand in terms of there's a lot of places, especially around how they manage the spread of technology, like broadband providers constantly lobby against municipal governments for the exact reason that they are favoring a specific type of service provider over open competition. So ah. in this case, they were saying that, well, if robocalls are okay for debt collectors, then why can't we use these for political purposes? Because mm -hmm. saying that we, well, the government, which is in its own way a political institution, is using this tool that's supposed to not be okay. And fortunately, what they said was like, you're right. That's not okay. And not, you know what? You're right. You should be allowed to annoy every human being <laughs> on the planet yes. with fear-mongering robocalls. I'm going to go over two cases in particular to watch out for. Now, the first one is Google versus Oracle America. Ooh, I think I know where this one is, but please tell me. Yes. This is a case that's been going on for a while, like back in 2018 this started, and it's set to be argued on October 7th. So this revolves around, one, whether copyright protection extends to software interface, and two, whether using that software while creating a new, like, computer program constitutes as fair use. So a bit of history. Apparently, Google, speak of the devil, in early versions of making their Android operating system, they use some Java APIs, which are owned by Oracle. And Google has admitted to doing this, and they've now transitioned to using something that isn't copyright. But Google claims that their original use of the APIs was fair use. And Oracle obviously doesn't think that. And they're suing Google for $8.8 billion in damages. Yeah. I have to talk about every part of this, and we don't have time, but I'm going to do my best. All, All right, right, go. Here's what's crazy. Copyright law is wacky for software because software is something that produces something, makes a computation, does some sort of outcome. But someone wrote the code, and as a result, code is copywritten, like a book is copywritten, like anything you would write or produce is copywritten. Mm -hmm. So when you create a language, Java itself is a copywritten language owned by Oracle. Every time you use it, you are actually using it to produce something that is yours. But if you actually have to use that in a licensed manner, then you are you have to pay for a Java license to actually be using the software as a foundational part of your product. Oh. So it's like if you needed a license to manufacture a specific patented invention that goes into your invention. You are technically still paying to use someone else's invention. You can't just use their invention for free. Okay. But here we have a weird case where you're using one invention to invent something else. And a core part of the Android operating system, the part I'm most familiar with, is built in Java. And so Oracle's like, yeah, we technically deserve a share of like every time Android was sold or used in a specific thing. Like that's insane. That's insane <laughs> because we lit like it's code so we can copy it. And it's in every single mobile device we have ever sold. Why on earth would you deserve a sliver of every single product we've ever sold? You've done none of the work. Yeah. We use your language to build our thing. And since then, they technically evolved past Java. I don't know what they use now, but there are these like weird Java offshoots like Kotlin that are built on Java. 
technically okay. JavaScript's built on Java. Like there's language. They're very similar. Language itself is insane. Like the original Java was built in C, which no one owned. Oh. But the next version of Java was built in the first version of Java. And the Java after that was <laughs> like, it's so weird. It's like this Ouroboros <laughs> of a snake every time a new language is invented. And so all these pieces, if anyone can claim a copyright on any part of it, can suddenly cause these hilarious like if you look at tech law in the tech industry, it is the most mind-boggling waste of money. I'm not kidding. <laughs> if Samsung wants to sue Apple over curved edges on their phones, it is a $500 million lawsuit. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Like I swear to God, this was invented just so lawyers could get richer. <laughs> Nothing about wow. this is meaningful. But at the end of the day, this is definitely going to be something interesting to look at because – Oracle really isn't innovating, and I don't know what the heck is going on. Yeah, and like, so this case, I told you it's been going on for a while. So it's been through two district courts, which found in favor of Google, and one federal circuit court that found in favor of Oracle. So now it's going to be to the Supreme Court to decide. All right, everyone, welcome back. Now that everyone knows the background of these cases, let's start with discussing Oracle v. Google. Does that sound good, Cameron? I think now I have the context I need. My voice has just changed in the <laughs> amount of time it took for us to go back in time, apparently. It was so long. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time back before vaccines. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this. Oh, first, Cameron, I want to hear your guess on this case because I know you like this case. Who do you think the Supreme Court sided with, Oracle or Google? And how many justices on each side? So knowing the Supreme Court and laws... I feel like they ended up with Oracle because this seems like the kind of case where copyright holders always seem to just win when they definitely have more than enough reason to not need more powers on copyright. But Google has a lot of money. So I wonder, I feel like Google won. And I'm going to say it was 6-3. <gasps> you are so close. Oh, that is scary. Okay. For the record, everyone listening, I literally do not actually, like, I let <laughs> Sam tell me. I try really hard to be, like, an everyman, a blank blank slate, the, like, Keanu Reeves of this podcast, <laughs> where you can experience the story through me. <laughs> so I really don't know. Yeah. The justices sided with Google, and it was a 6-2 decision because Amy Conan Barrett wasn't on the Supreme Court at the time, so she wasn't in the decision. Okay, but it sounds like she would have sided probably with I'm going to say Oracle. There's the there's the mystery. What, what would Amy Coney Barrett do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Justices Thomas and Alito were the ones dissenting. Oh, OK. Why? <laughs> oh, you know what? We'll get into that. <laughs> OK, so let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What is what does this mean? Let's let's get into this. OK, so what does siding with Google mean? So the Supreme Court said that Google's use of the Java code had been fair use. That because Google had only used about 11,500 lines of the Java code created by Oracle, which, by the way, was only 0.4% of Java code. Yeah, it's a lot of code. Yeah. <laughs> and because they incorporated that little bit in an entirely new code for Android smartphones, that it was a fair use, I'm putting quotes up, under the nation's copyright laws, and Oracle is not entitled to payment. So Justice Breyer, in the court's majority opinion, also wrote that Google, quote, took only what was needed and also that, quote, Google's copying was transformative, which is a word the court has used before to describe a copying use that adds something new and important. Yeah. So I actually experienced this a lot through YouTube because I like to make 
reviews about movies every so often. I'm not talking about all things tech. And being able to use movie clips and stuff, it's possible. It's easy for Warner Brothers to not sue me because it's fair use. They, they'll want to say like, oh, you clearly just used our footage or whatever. But by using something and making it transformative, like if I'm just watching the entirety of Godzilla v. Kong and just telling you like, haha, that was funny or whatever, but I'm just showing you the whole movie, that's not really transformative. It's a shared experience like going to the movies and therefore it actually is it's standing in place of you just going to do it yourself, which is not a transformative use. It's basically that's one of the easiest ways to look at fair uses. Does this actually give something other than the regular experience of going to consume that? With copyright law for code, though, this is a really weird thing because, first of all, percentages when it comes to functionality are – they can matter a lot. Like yeah. you could only be using 0.1%, but it could be like the whole point of the code is that 0.1% and everything else is just decoration that helps make other things work that you have no logical need for. But at the same time, because it is such a – like it's not just that it's a small sliver of what was used. It's a small sliver of what it went into. Again, if I had a bunch of footage from a movie and that was the entire thing I was showing you, it would be really hard for me to say it was transformative if I didn't give you like a completely new context to get out of what I was showing you. But if it's just one example and a bunch of examples or if it's just one feature and a bunch of features, it's easy for me to say what you're getting from this entire experience is completely different from what you would get if you just used the raw Oracle code they had put out. Yeah, and that distinction is very important. And it's actually related to why Thomas and Alito dissented. Like, they wanted to side with Oracle because as they saw it, they said that Google simply copied verbatim 11,500 lines of code from Oracle's library and that doing that was anything but fair. But you're right, that's leaving out that, yes, they copied that, but they completely (laughs) turned it into something entirely different. Well, think about this. Before Google made the Android operating system, there was nothing like it at all, period. Like you had mobile operating systems, but Java was never being used in this fashion. And this was a way to go and put code on a machine that would allow it to use touchscreen features, interact with radios, do a bunch of things that Java itself was never originally designed for. Java was intended to do all sorts of really cool things computationally, but this was a completely new environment that no one even really had for this code. So it had to be transformed. Yeah, it, entirely new product. Yeah, and suggesting that just because you copied those 11,000 lines of code, although like you you probably had to copy them verbatim because the code wouldn't work if you didn't. <laughs> Trust me, I'm someone who's had to deal with copy-pasting a lot of code. It doesn't work if you change enough things. And often if you change anything, it won't work. Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> you change one little thing and the whole thing breaks. <laughs> I love the code comments are like, this feature is deprecated, but we left it in because if we don't, (laughs) everything breaks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a bunch of tech companies and Silicon Valley companies are actually pretty happy about this decision. Oracle, however, is not too happy about this decision. Let me read a quote from Dorian Daly, their executive vice president and general counsel. Quote, The Google platform just got bigger and market power greater, the barriers to entry higher and the ability to compete lower. They stole Java and spent a decade litigating as only a monopolist can. This behavior is exactly why regulatory authorities around the world and in the United States are examining Google's business practices. So I'm not going to disagree with that. Google has (laughs) the money and power and just mass 
to do and absorb and be crappy in ways that smaller companies obviously can't. Yeah. And they have no shortage of times they've done this. I've I actually made a video where I explained how like they just did crappy things with their ad services and they kind of just got away with it globally until the EU forced them to stop doing it. Yeah. They're totally right. Google is too big. There's a reason they're having an antitrust lawsuit brought against them. They're, mm-hmm. they're just too big. But at the same time, I don't want to lose the thread here of there's a very important thing when it comes to fair use and the rest of us. We don't have the money and manpower to go sue Oracle for 10 years <laughs> yes, and exactly. fight them in court. <laughs> but when these decisions come down, they can have implications for us. They can say, like, at the end of the day, a lot of stuff we use, a lot of creative projects, a lot of things that come out into the world – are just mashups of old things we loved. Like Godzilla v. Kong is not new. It's not even the first Godzilla v. Kong movie. But because we can go and get those IPs and mix them together. Okay, you know, that's a bad example because people bought those copyrights and mixed them together. But my point is people who are going to make joke versions of things can use fair use because it allows them to say, I did transform this. I did take your thing and make it into something you never did as admittedly has elements of what you created, but is different. I'm kind of thinking off base here of fan fictions. Oh, yeah. Wait, are we talking about Slash or are we talking about, like, just general fan fiction? Because that's In general, I mean... Exactly. Yes, that would be a great example of being able to come up with a really fun novel story that you yourself really attach to that someone could easily sue you for. Like, that's kind of why, if I recall... Fifty Shades of Grey was originally, like, a Twilight story. Yeah, it was Twilight fan fiction. Yeah, where they just ended up, like, changing the names and situations. But it's definitely, like, came from Twilight. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But there are, like, there are fan fictions that do make it big, aside from the Fifty Shades of Grey example, and become their own stories and own things. And so, yeah, if you don't have fair use in place, that would be, like, you would just strike down an entire community of creative writers like disney did to all of star wars like all of it oh no like like disney did oh no (laughs) i mean there's i want to be clear this is a huge tangent but there's a difference between fair use and canon i can make like some of my favorite like weird internet stuff back when the internet and podcasts were still young were these it's called like little karibos Yu-Gi-Oh abridged and dragon ball z abridged oh yeah they just it was pure parody (laughs) of Yu-Gi-Oh and dragon ball z But they were protected because they were transforming the art. Like, they were making fun of it, but it was in a way that allows them to get away with it. It's very similar to how Weird Al is able to take a song and completely switch around the lyrics and not get sued by the original artists. Yeah, I'm going to say that this entire conversation is really dating us. Like, we're we're clearly millennials here. We are old. (laughs) We are so old. But my point is... It's important to be able to do that, but the difference between what Star Wars did, where it's the official canon of a universe owned by Lucasfilm, versus I made these stories that I thought were funny and people agreed, that no one's saying that those stories have to be part of the canon of the universe, but they can still exist and they still have the right to exist. Okay, so if I can summarize, Oracle v. Google. Siding with Google, fair use, bad for Oracle, but most likely good for tech companies and the tech industry. And us. If we want to use code in our super transformative projects, then we have a precedent that says like, all right, we used a little bit of Java code, but we did something truly transformative with it. Question of if we can afford to fight Oracle's legal team long enough to prove that is a different story, but. (laughs) All right. 
That sounds good. Want to move on to the next case? Heck yeah. Let's go. All right. This next case, Facebook v. Do Good. And I hope that I've been pronouncing that name correctly because the second point of it here, it, it is a name. It's a person. So this case was filed by Facebook right after the VAR v. AAPC decision, the one that we played the clip of that we discussed in our previous episode. And this case involves the definition of what an automatic telephone dialing system is under TCPA. So Noah Duguid, the other party in this case, started receiving text messages from Facebook saying that an account associated with his phone number was logging into Facebook using a different browser or device. Well, Noah Duguid didn't create that Facebook account and has never created any Facebook account, so he got very annoyed by these texts. And he tried to stop getting these texts, but wasn't successful. So filed a class action lawsuit against Facebook saying that they violated the TCPA by sending him these messages. Okay, this is awesome. I probably should have tried to do something myself like this, but as we've just pointed out, lawsuits are very expensive. Yes, I just I can only imagine the level of annoyance this man got to in order to be like, you know what? Too far. I'm suing Facebook. You'd be surprised how little it actually takes when you are in the right position and you have the right resources and you just know what to do. And I should point out a class action lawsuit is not nothing. It's not just me bringing a grievance against a company. It is a ton of people. I don't remember the minimum. But the point is a class action lawsuit means there's a lot of people on one side upset with a party on the other side, Mm. which means that he probably went and got, I assume it's a he, went and got a ton of other people or found some way to get other people on this or just put out like, I'm doing this, go sign on if you've also been harmed. Because that's the thing is like a lot of people, when a class action lawsuit comes to bear, it's like their damage is awarded, but not necessarily everyone who was affected by it is known throughout the proceedings. And you can come and say like, oh, you can come get your money because you got screwed by Facebook and they affect literally, was it like a third of the world population that have I think so. It's Three insane. billion use, active users a, a day, Farrakhal? Yeah, I think we heard that recently. Yes. And the world population is not 10 billion, so it's at least a third. It's 7 billion. It's almost half. So Facebook's argument against this case is that TCPA doesn't apply because their messaging system doesn't use a random or sequential number generator. So a lower court sided with Duguid. Facebook appealed, and then it went all the way to the Supreme Court, who reversed that decision. Oh, oh, well, I just gave it away. <laughs> bum, bum, I was going to say, oh, and Cameron made me want to guess on this one. Oh, well, too bad. I can guess how many people agreed to reverse it. Okay, you can guess on that one. Okay, so let me make sure I got this. The lower courts agreed with Duguid. That's yes. what you said? But then the Supreme Court was like, no, 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 no. Yes, and sided with Facebook. I'm going to assume it is the five more conservative justices. All right, so you think it is... Just five. Five people. Five humans. Because the people on the Supreme Court are human beings, and they get to make decisions that affect all of us. Never forget that. Well, you will be surprised, Cameron. It was a unanimous ruling. So that's nine. Nine for nine. That's horrible. Technically eight, because Amy Coney Barrett wasn't on this case as well. I don't think it would have mattered. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have mattered. I don't know a yeah. lot about maths, but eight <laughs> greater than one. <laughs> All right. So what does this mean? Well, the decision clarifies what kind of automated phone contact is covered under TCPA. So I'm going to read a summary from Justice Sotomayor, who wrote the majority decision. 
Quote, the question before the court is whether that definition encompasses equipment that can store and dial telephone numbers, even if the device does not use a random or sequential number generator. It does not. To qualify an automatic telephone dialing system, a device must have the capacity either to store a telephone number using a random or sequential generator or to produce a telephone number using a random or sequential number generator. That is the stupidest caveat I've ever heard in my entire life. (laughs) All right, go on. Well, the point of a robocall is that not a person is bothering a person for things that, if we're being honest, can have like very detrimental mental health effects on that person. If someone's constantly calling me all the time to try and get me to buy a stupid thing I don't need or try to scare me into thinking the IRS is coming after me, that has implications for people, especially people who aren't tech savvy. Like, they don't know that the IRS isn't actually coming after them. The IRS literally says, we will never call you first. Yeah. But people don't know that. I just happen to know that because I spend so much time, like, researching stuff about, like, robocalls and the IRS and, like, these weird scam rings. I think I learned that because I got a robocall and I was like, this is weird, and then looked it up. Yeah. Which is crazy that it was on me to figure out that the IRS doesn't call people. But that's the thing, though, is like the thing they just said here was it's not a robocall because they store a number and then called that number sequentially. Right. Yeah. And they didn't randomly generate the number. They yeah. Didn't it's because it. they had the number. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. But the, the nature of what they're doing is just terrible. And it's also Facebook. So I admit I have some bias here. But yeah, what they're trying to do here is still the same. It's still a robocall. And there's no person on the other end of that line. Yeah. And that's what I think is like, I know there are cases where I've like initiated a robocall. Like you'll go to a website and say, I need to talk to someone. And the robocall will call you and say like, all right, well, go through this screen and we'll get you the right person. But if I'm just getting like, I don't think I have to make this up. For anyone living in the United States, you probably get at least one phone call a day from Scam Likely, and he has all of our numbers, and we've been trying to get that guy for years. <laughs> well, I also want to point out, in this case, the man was receiving text messages from Facebook, so not actually phone calls. Okay. Not actually the, like, robot automatic phone call. It was getting automated text messages. He was getting the alert messages you usually get from a lot of websites when it's like, oh, your account has been accessed on this different browser, like the security thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Google does this a lot of like, oh, your email was signed in on this different computer. Okay. I want to make sure that's you. Like, Wait, now I'm confused. So was this guy upset because he was getting security messages? Yes, but he was getting security messages and had never actually signed up for Facebook. Oh, wait. So this means that someone created a Facebook account with his number. Yeah. And then he was just getting spammed for it. Most likely, yes. And Google apparently, I'm very curious because usually when you verify your phone number, you have to like verify it. You have to like click on a link or something that they send via text message. So how on earth did someone verify this phone number? Unless Facebook didn't verify this phone number, in which case shame on you, Facebook. What the hell? They probably didn't. I imagine whenever... I have no idea. I want to point this out. I imagine a situation where someone created a Facebook account through, like, you know, email and stuff on the actual Facebook web page, not the app on their phone, and put in their number manually and probably missed 
a single digit and like did a typo. And now because of that, Facebook keeps sending this poor person messages every time this person logs onto their Facebook account. So who are the other people in this class action lawsuit? I have no idea. I did not get any of that info. Like it implies that they all have the same problem. Yeah. I mean, maybe people, you're right. There must be other people where this affects that people are creating accounts in using a phone number that's not associated with them, and then the other person is being bombarded with these messages because of it. That's a super bummer. All right. Well, what came of it? Well, I mean, what came of it is that the court ruled inside of Facebook, so Facebook doesn't have to do any damages related to this. This also clarified the definition of the law of TCPA, which is actually really good for survey researchers because... Survey researchers do have to call people and contact people that had never had previous contact with the survey researcher before. Okay. So this is like when you say survey researcher, are we talking about private companies or are we talking about like the Census Bureau? Kind of everything. But yeah, mostly like private companies. Okay. Think of private companies that are having to do market research or any kind of other surveying going on really and that – if they have this sample of people and they happen to have their phone numbers, there's just always these weird restrictions of how you can contact people first because of TCPA and preventing robocalls. So actually, some survey researchers I saw, they're they're pretty excited by this news just because any kind of clarification to what this law covers is a win for them. Okay, that's I guess that's good news. All right. One the one time a thing happened and Facebook was part of it, and I'm not super upset, I guess. Yeah. But you know what? I'm still mad at Facebook. Facebook should have made this dude damages. I'm agreeing with that. Oh, boy. Okay. What else has came out of these stories? Nothing. That's it. That's I'm it. done. We're done? We're done. We, I guess that's, that's the, the problem with going with roundups is that, like, now that we just know stuff and it happens. <laughs> we know stuff. We're more knowledgeable for that. <laughs> What's that from? I don't know. <laughs> My, me? Sam? <laughs> We got to, on one of our, uh, like, Instagram or Twitter or something, we got to have, like, a quote. It's like. Yeah. You know, in the nice cursive font. It's just like, it's from me. See? Okay. Should we wrap up this episode? Yeah, I think we should wrap up. All right. So what we learned from the Oracle v. Google case is fair use is a real thing even when you are dealing with slivers of a giant block of code being used in a completely different project, which yes. is a win, I'd say. And. What we learned from the Facebook case is that the TCPA does not cover when you do legitimately give your phone number to someone, even if the person didn't actually give their phone number and it was actually someone else's phone number. And Facebook, as always, did not do their due diligence to make sure that that was actually the phone number associated with the account. (laughs) Yes. Okay. One of those makes me happier than the other. Uh, Anything else we should know, Sam? You should know that if you want to learn more about these cases, you should look in the show notes where all of my sources are. And you should also know that in those same show notes, you will find Scott's information. Scott, our fantastic editor who just carries us on his back up the mountain every day. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. If you have any thoughts or ideas for future episodes or want to just go back and look at them, you can go check out our website or you can go reach out to us on Twitter. We both have tweeters. Yes, at Twitter, at Sample Size Show. Come reach out to us or at Wildcard Cameron. If you want to reach out specifically to Cameron. Yeah, I'll get you to the right people. Don't worry. Until then, don't forget, if you get vaccinated, do not post your vaccine card anywhere. We did a whole episode about that, and people are still not listening to the episode and doing that thing. But if you are able to get vaccinated, please go get the vaccine. 
All right. Till next time. Bye, guys. Bye.